Hey, I want you to turn with me this morning to 1 Peter. Again, don't forget all the things that are going on this week uh, with the, with the uh, Shred Day coming up. And, and uh, again, we, we continue to look for ways to serve. How, how many think that serving the community is the right thing to do? Amen. Amen. We just need to be Jesus. You know, I was telling somebody the other day, I did an interview for uh, a, a magazine earlier this week, and, and they said, tell me about servant evangelism. What do you think about that? And I said, well, you know, servant evangelism is, is about being Jesus with skin on. They said, well, that, they asked, well, does that ever translate into people in the church? And I said, not rarely. Not, not often it doesn't. Rarely it does, really. I, they said, so why do you do that? And I said, because people need to know we care. What's the old adage that says people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care? And listen, we need to care for people. People are hurting today, and we need to do that. Uh, let's get right into our word this morning. Uh, again, thank you for your faithfulness and giving. We continue to do all we do simply because of that. Um, we're in a series right now on building on family matters, building a godly home. So we're talking about God's blueprint for building a godly home. Now, one of the reasons I started this series is, again, I'm very concerned about the family. Now, last week we talked about the importance of mothers. Moms, again, whether you get told that or not, you need to understand that you are an incredible influencer in the dynamic of your home. Just because somebody doesn't tell you that don't mean that you are, don't minimize your role and your influence in that home. Uh, God looks to you as a powerful influencer in that home. And, and one of the reasons I wanted to do this series is because, listen, we have two options. I can either build my home based upon what I see out here, or I can turn to the Word of God and I can go back to the source and find out what he says about the family. Remember, the family was not man's idea. It was not the initiative of man. Man didn't sit down and say, hey, let's come up with this, 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 this thing called the family where you get a woman and you get a man and you bring them together and, and, and let them slug it out until they make it work. That, that's not it at all. The family is a divine institution. It is something that God, it's, a God, it's an initiative of God. And yet today we see in society that the breakdown of society is directly correlated to the breakdown of the family. And I, again, I've always said the, sick, the world is sick because the church is sick, the church is sick because families are sick, families are sick because marriages are sick. You heal the marriage, you heal the family, you heal the family, uh, you heal the church, you heal the church, you change the world. And, and that's why I'm doing this series. Because there are a lot of voices out there. Listen, we live in a culture today that has redefined what it means to be a family. And it's concerning to me. Please understand that the church needs to weigh in on family matters. We need to go back and see what, the, what does the Lord say? What thus saith the Lord regarding the family? So I'm going to read, uh, this morning we're going to be talking, last week was about wives, uh, excuse me, about moms. Uh, next week, I'll be talking about putting a woman in her place. Uh, you don't want to miss that one. <laughs> Today, are you man enough? Are you man enough? Guys say, we'll be taking notes next week. Yeah, be careful. First Peter chapter 3, let's look at verse number 7, one, one passage. Peter writes, said, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers, notice this, that your prayers may not be hindered. You ever wonder why your prayers are not being answered? Maybe because you're not treating your wife very well. Woo! 
Getting quiet in this Presbyterian church. That's what he said again. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. Now, again, we've been talking about some foundational things about, about the family. And again, I, I, I want to cut through all the rhetoric that's out there. Listen, everybody has an opinion. Most people, when they go into marriage, the husband comes in with the, with the marriage of his family, good, bad, indifferent, whatever it was. The wife comes in with, a, with what she has observed, good, bad, indifferent, whatever. They come together, and, and oftentimes it's not healthy. It's either we're seeing what's going on in our immediate surroundings or we're being talked to by Hollywoods, all these the, the athletes, the, you know, the echelon that's above most of us. And so that's how we come into it. We come into the relationship and we're hoping that things work. And so uh, what I want to do is I want to cut through all of that noise and I want to go back to see what the Bible says specifically about husbands, about wives, about our roles. And, and so we're going to look beginning today at specific roles uh, within the family. Now remember, a strong family hinges upon each member's relationship with the Lord. Now, here's When Sheila and I got married 36 years ago, almost, her uncle uh, was a pastor and he did our, our ceremony and he drew this, and I, I know you've seen it before, but he drew a triangle. And he said, now this is the way marriage works. He put me at one side, you know, the, the groom's here, the bride's here, and God is here. And he said, you're individuals. You'll never cease being individuals. And so individually, as you grow closer to God, guess what? You naturally draw closer together. That's the way the triangle works. And, and so again, the foundation of a healthy, godly home begins with each member's relationship with the Lord. Remember, you've heard me say this for years. If the vertical connection is not right, that means my relationship with the Lord, then this is not going to be right. No matter, again, and that that's, doesn't just apply to my family relationships, it applies to my friendships and acquaintances. If my relationship with God is off, everything else is going to be off. So, so we start there. Um, strong faith produces strong families. That's it. Strong faith produces strong families. Why? Because every, family of the, every member of the family recognizes their role as assigned by God, not culture. See, that's why I'm saying we've got to be very careful because culture is trying to redefine the roles of matrimony, of family, of all of that. We, God assigned us a role, okay? Now, if you haven't figured out yet, there's a battle raging against strong biblical families. There's a battle. And, and I want to cut through that rhetoric, and I want, to, I want to zero in on what God's Word, excuse me, declares about the family. What does God say about it? Again, we can talk about Dr. Spock, and we can talk about Oprah, and Dr. Phil, and you know, Mari Povich and all those other talking heads, but what does God say about it? Again, God was the one who established the leave and cleave model of the family. Why? To produce godly offspring and to fill the earth with, Christ, with image bearers of Christ. That's why he did that. That's why Deuteronomy instructs us to teach our children, you know, when we're sitting down, when we're at the table, when we're lounging, when we're walking, when we're doing all of these things, that's what we're to do. We're to instruct and pass on that faith that was handed down. Listen, you and I have something that endures. It lasts. I'm, I'm a, an originalist when it comes to the Bible. What does that mean? I, may, I believe that the, the Bible says, in fact, the psalmist says, forever, O Lord, your word is established in heaven. Forever. He said what he meant, and he meant what he said. 
And, and yet today we have so many people wanting to, to debate the inerrancy of Scripture, the authenticity of Scripture. Uh, and, and listen, I'm, I'm, I'm just a believer. I believe the book. And I believe that God's way is best in all things. So, so again, to build strong families, we begin by building strong marriages. If my marriage is rocky, guess what? My family will be rocky. That's, we're not building rockets, right? If my marriage is rocky, my family's going to be rocky. And, and so we start there. We start with the marriage. Marriage is designed by God to reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. And we, we exemplify that in our day-to-day -day life. A biblical marriage, and I'm going to say this, a biblical marriage is one of mutual submission. Everybody say submission. Isn't that a hard word? I, I, I was, when I was talking about this in the early service this morning, I, I, I went back to, anybody remember Happy Days? Yeah, you know, the Fonz. Did, you remember he had some words he couldn't say, right? What was it? Yeah, he couldn't say he was wrong. He couldn't say I'm sorry. <laughs> he just couldn't get it out. Well, for a lot of people, this is, it's hard to say submit. Submission's a hard word, but a biblical marriage, okay, is one of mutual submission. Mutual submission. Now, again, that's not an ugly word because here's the thing. It does not denote value or equality because in God's eyes, listen, listen to me, men and women are the same. Please understand that. I, again, in our culture today, this is all out of whack. But I'm telling you, in God's eyes, men and women are absolutely on equal planes. Uh, in, in God's eyes, we're of equal value. Husbands and wives are on the same plane when it comes to equality. But listen to me, but they differ in function and purpose. We're the same, but we differ in function and in purpose. So again, this, is, this message, this is not something that you would turn on CNN or Fox or MSNBC because nobody wants to hear this. Nobody wants to hear this in our modern world, but if we're going to write the ship regarding the family, then we must focus on the blueprint as laid out by God's Word. So this morning, I want to address husbands, and I want to ask you the question, men, are you man enough? Are you man enough to be the husband God has called you to be? Two men were seated on a bus, and they were talking to each other, and one guy says to the other, he said, you know, actually... My mother-in-law, we have a lot in common. The guy looked at him and said, really? He said, yeah, we both wish my wife had married someone else. <laughs> I know, that's bad, that's bad. <laughs> hey, sometimes some of the tough things that you do, you got you to gotta put a spoonful of sugar, right? So, so there, was a, there was a women's conference, not ours, but there was, there was a women's conference with a renowned uh, club with a, uh, a lady that was lecturing on marriage, and she was talking about how ladies tend to talk to their husband, and one, one of the big gripes that most women have about their husband is they don't listen, right? They don't listen, and, and, and they pull their socks off, and they leave them, and you know they just scatter things around, and so they were talking about it, and so this lecturer, this lady says... Uh, she starts talking about, you know, the frustration of it. She said, I mean, who wants to mother their husband? And this lady in the back raises her hand. The speaker was shocked and said, you want to mother your husband? She said, mother? Oh, I thought you said smother.
Been there, huh? <laughs> There's a lonely man placed an ad in a local newspaper that read, Wife Wanted. The next day, he received over 100 responses that all said the same thing. You can have mine. <laughs> you know, we, we do that jokingly, but you know what the sad reality is, is that present-day society holds manhood in great contempt. It, it's a sad place, it, really. I, I like being a man. I like being a man. I'm glad God made me a man. I like talking about manly things. I like shooting things and blowing things up. And, and, and I go to uh, some of you ladies like, well, I like to do that too. Well, that's, that's cool. I'm just saying I like, you know, I like manly things. I like doing, I like being a man. I remember the first time I ever wore a pink shirt to the church many years ago. Somebody came up to me kind of joking about me wearing a pink shirt. And I said, look, dude, I'm very comfortable in my manhood. Part of me wanted to say, what you want to do about it? <laughs> Let me preach and meet me out back. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But we live in a world that's confused. Our society's confused. I mean, think about, and I'm not jumping on a soapbox here, but listen, with gender confusion and the preferred pronoun movements, trying to find what a real man is, is, is it proves rather difficult, right? I saw, a, I saw a, a sign the other day that somebody was doing a protest, I guess in Washington or Austin or wherever it was, and they had this guy holding this sign, and, and it read, what is a woman? And another one had another one, what is a man? And I thought, that is the question. That is the question. Because in this world that we live in that's upside down and doesn't make an ounce of sense, I, I told the early service, I was reading in the newspaper, uh, a news feed that came across my computer the other day and it talked about in Oregon right now they passed a law that you put feminine hygiene products in male bathrooms and I thought really again it it confused me and so what I'm saying again I'm not jumping on a soapbox I'm just simply saying with gender confusion and preferred pronoun movements that are happening right now trying to find what a real man is is rather difficult I mean who really knows you think about manhood for a moment when a boy is born his mother gets all the congratulations, the candy, and the flowers. When he's married, his wife gets the parties, the publicity, and the gifts. When he dies, his widow gets the life insurance policy. <laughs> Life's just not very fair to men, not very good to men. I love what Dr. Gary Oliver says. Dr. Gary Oliver says this, and I quote, he said, Today's man is a cardboard Goliath, unable to flow with the changing social scene. We've been reduced to work machines, performers, and breadwinners. We've been sold a bad image of manhood, and we've paid for it with our health, our emotions, and with our relationships, end quote. Listen, if, we're, if, we're, if we are tuned in to the messages today of society, men are of little to no value. If you go to the extreme militant wings of the feminist movement, they have called for the destruction of male society. And again, it's no wonder. It's no wonder that men are confused today, okay? We're confused about what it means to be a man because society is painting, the, the target moves. Again, if you take your marching orders from the society rather than God's word, it always changes. The target is never fixed. It's always moving from one place to the other. And, and so men are confused today. Our boys are growing up confused because the target is always moving it's evolving we're confused about what it means to be a man and then that confusion flows into marriage and we get into marriage and we're confused because we don't know how to be the husband that God called us to be because we've not figured out what it means to be a man 
That's why it's dangerous. That's why we've got to deal. That's why the church needs to speak about it. Listen, I made a decision years ago that I'm going to preach what the Lord lays on my heart. And, it, and it, whether it's popular or not, we, we need to hear what the Spirit weighs in on. Our kids need to understand that they were born on purpose, with purpose, and that there was significance, and God made me male for a reason, and he made women females for a reason. There's a purpose behind it, and they need to know that. Listen, man, men, listen to me. When you were born, regardless of your marital status, when you were born a male, God had a mighty plan for your life. He made you a man on purpose, with purpose. And again, today's gender confusion is an open assault against the creative order of God, nothing more than that. Open assault against the creative order of God. God had a divine design in mind when you were born, and only when you tune out the shouting of the world can you find that still, small voice leading us into his truth. And that's what we're here to do, is tune out the peripheral voices and listen to what he says. In our text, I'm going to need to get right into this. In our text, Peter is writing to Christian husbands. And he's writing, and you've got to understand, he's writing at a time when women had no rights whatsoever. You see, there are a lot of people that want to object to Christianity, and they, particularly when it comes to the abortion movement or things like that, they, they want to jump on the bandwagon and say things like, well, you just want to go back to the, to the archaic slavery of Christianity. Dude, you have no idea. Christianity has done more to liberate women than any other movement ever in the history of the world. Peter's writing to Christian husbands in a time when women at that, in that culture had absolutely no rights whatsoever. Under Roman and Greek law, during this time of Peter, under Roman and Greek law, women only had obligations while men had all the rights and privileges. Even under Judaism, even under the Jewish law, I mean, women's rights were very limited. In fact, in Jewish law, women couldn't mix with men in public gatherings. So in other words, if you were going to come to church... Guys, with your wives, you left your wife in the back and you came forward because they couldn't come forward. They couldn't talk. That was it. I mean, they're, they're, her status in that culture was just a little more, under Jewish law, was just a little more than a slave. They were like property. That's the way it was. And so Peter comes along and he says, hey, listen, let, let me tell you something. He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he's saying, he's saying husbands... Husbands, remember what he says? Dwell with your wives in an understanding way. Uh, you know, Peter, excuse me, Paul even gets in on this. If you want to talk about the family code, go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, where Paul weighs in on the family code, the family issues, and he says this in verse 25. He said, husbands, love your wife. I think it's important that he put your in there because some bonehead would be saying, see there, we could be, anyway, I'm not going there. He said, love your wife, not somebody else's wife. I'm glad he defined it. Because we we've tried to find a loophole. Husbands, love your wife. Now, let me unpack that for a moment before I get really deal with Peter. i got a little bit of time. No, notice, notice what Paul said. This is a command. It's an injunction. He's not suggesting, guys, you love your wife. He's saying, hey, love your wife. I can see him with his finger. John, love your wife. I know you do, but I'm just using you. Love your wife. Again, it's a command. Paul issues this action and says this in a time like Peter when it was culturally not appropriate. Because wives were like property. 
And Paul said, nah, husbands, listen to me. Love your wife. Love your wife. See, God expects men to step up and lead the family in all aspects. And yet you fast forward to the 21st century. Men have abdicated their role of leadership. Listen, men, you were made to lead. Again, this is not sexist. You had to understand the difference. Men and women are equal. We just differ in function and role. Function and purpose. Okay? So, so men were designed to lead. There's a, there's a covering, if you will. I, I don't have time to get into that today. Men, you were born to be a leader. Man was made to head the family and to be the priest and the spiritual leader of the home. Today, there are very few examples of that in our culture, and it's increasingly hostile to the notion that men are the head of the family. That doesn't mean boss. I know there's some, there's some guys out there that they, they need to be taken out back. They, it's not boss. That's not the idea behind it. He said, you love your wife. You, you're in that position of leadership. You take charge and you make sure your family is taken care of. You make sure they're spiritually fed, physically fed, and emotionally supported. You do that, husband. That's what he's telling them to do. Again, while it may be true, again, that society today is changing the, the narrative, if you will, of the family, it doesn't change the fact that God's word still declares it. His design is still accurate. If a man is a godly head of his household, fulfilling his role to love his wife, listen to me, men, then your wife will find the highest fulfillment in you. Do, do you understand that? Guys say, well, pastor, I just wish my wife would be a better wife, will be a better husband. See, we, we want to blame, but be a better husband. Because if you love your wife the way Paul said to do it, if you value that lady, that woman that God brought into your, if you do that, then she will find her highest fulfillment in you. Husband, love your wife. You're the initiator of love in the home. Be the lover of your wife. And then notice the extent of his love. He said, husbands, love your wife. And then he puts the criteria on it as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's it. That is absolute love without restriction. Well, I'd love her if she'd be a better wife. If she'd be a better wife, you'd love her better. I mean, see, it's just a vicious circle. Just a vicious circle. Is love an emotion? Some people think it is. Well, pastor, you know what? When I first saw her, I fell in love. And here we are later, I fell out of love. Now, it's not. Remember, love is a commitment. It's a commitment. See, I said it in the very first message. The, the, the glue that holds a marriage together is not love. Okay? It's commitment. The reward for commitment is love. So I, Sheila and I have been married, if the Lord wills, uh, and, and Terry's till September, 36 years. I can tell you in 36 years' time, there have been times I wanted to wring her neck. I, you laugh at me, but you know it's true. You wanted to, not my wife, you don't want to wring her neck, but you want to wring your husband or wife's neck, right? <laughs> I mean, there have been times when you absolutely have been at each other's throat. What's, what's helped us? I shared with you a couple weeks ago my story in 1994, that bad year of our relationship and what I almost did. And you know what got me through that? Was I committed to her before God. And that commitment in 1994 kept us together and that love has blossomed. And even now, every day when I push her in that wheelchair or I have to get her up and do all the stuff I have to do for her, my love for her grows every single day. You know why? Because I committed to her. I committed to her. When she had her stroke 10 years ago, it wasn't even a thought. She said something to my daughter one time. She said, 
she said, and it, and it breaks my heart, but, but I guess it would be one of those fears. She said something to my daughter. She said, I'm just worried daddy's going to leave me. Because she can't, you know, she can't function. She can't do what she used to do. And I'm thinking, no, why would I do that? Why, why would I do that? I, I tell, when I speak at guys' conferences, I said, my wife didn't ask to get sick. Why, why would I abandon her the time she needs me? She didn't ask to get sick. I committed to her and my love. So, my, so, so again, the, the, ben, the, 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 the reward of commitment is love. I love her now more than I can even describe because it's commitment. See, Jesus loved the church so much that he gave himself without reservation. See, most of the time, guys, we say we love our wife, but then they never factor into any decisions that we make. We come home, honey, I'm going here. Don't ever ask if she had other things that she wanted to do. Husbands, listen to me. Married love looks like the cross. It looks like the cross. Jesus died in our place because he loved us, and when we love our wives, in a sense, we die daily to ourselves for her. And that's tough. That's a message that we don't hear in today's culture. Again, that's what Paul said, but when we get into our text, Peter said some very revolutionary things in a society, again, that didn't treat women, women as equals. If anybody ever says that Christianity is, a, is, a, is, is bad on, on, on women, they don't know what they're talking about. In a very revolutionary time, Peter comes along and says, hey, husbands, you husbands, likewise, listen to what he said, live with your wives. The first thing he says to them, the, the, he, may, he lays out these responsibilities. The first thing he says, be there. Be there. You husbands, likewise, live with your wives. It just simply means this. Be a faithful companion. Be a faithful companion. Women, listen, women need time. Out of all the 30-plus years of ministry, when I've sat down with couples that are going through some really tough times, it all boils down to women just want time. They want time with their man. Now, listen, you may have... You may have been conditioned over the last five, ten years where he's not around and maybe that, the, thought, the thought of him being around more makes you sick to your stomach. <laughs> but in the beginning, you wanted time. You needed that time. Again, a wife says all, uh, a, a wife says all her husband does is work. Uh, again, if that's all you do, then, then that wife, again, you're not going to have that time. A wife just wants time. It's like the lady that her husband was a workaholic. And that's all he ever did was work, 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 work. She had him, when he died, she had him cremated and put in an hourglass. She set him up on the mantle of the fireplace. Every time she walked by, she flipped that thing over, said, work, you rascal, work. <laughs> Make time. Being there means spending time with your wife. Listen, we have, we have these devices today, and, and I'll tell you what, be careful about that, especially with your kids, because that is robbing families of wholesome, healthy time. You know, parents get, again, I understand parenting. You get frustrated, you know, you're busy at work or whatever, and you come home and the kids want time and you just don't want to give time. You say, get, you know, here, take an iPad and go be careful about that. Husbands, be very careful when your wife is trying to talk to you. You'll sit there on ESPN Plus looking at all the sports data or fishing data or whatever else is going on or playing a game. Be careful about that. Because if you're there and you're not there, it's the same thing. Does that make sense? If you're there physically, but you're not there mentally and emotionally, it's the same thing as not being there. Listen, I'm not here to step on anybody's toes. Anybody's toes. I'm just saying, listen, if the shoe fits, wear it. If not, kick it down the road. It fits somebody. Women need time. Be there for them. Your wife takes comfort in you being there. When I travel some, you know, I love coming home. 
I love coming home when my wife has missed me. And I walk in, and again, she can't, you know, she can't run to the door and embrace me. She can't do that. But I walk in. You know what the first thing she does? That big old smile just comes on her face. And, and it's just one of the things. I posted a picture one time when she was in therapy last year, or in 2020, had that, and I put a caption on her. I said, can't you tell she's laughing because her eyes wrinkle and she just gets this big old grin? That's the way, when, it, when I come home, my heart's going, boom, 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 because I see this lady that just loves me. Be there. Be there for her. She had dreams. She had dreams. Listen, that might not be the case right now, but I'm telling you, if you'll start being there, if you'll start be, showing attention, be there for your wife, it'll, it'll happen. Again, we're very quick to amen those things, right, guys? We're very quick to say, well, I, wanna, I want her to submit to me, and I want to respect her, or, or whatever. Listen. Don't ignore your responsibility to be there for your wife. If you spend quality time with her, I promise you that the respect that you crave will follow. Notice what he said. Live with your wives in an understanding way. You know, when I read that, I had to go back and reread that. I thought, understand my wife? Is that even possible? Guys, how many are with me? Is that even possible to understand? Again, it appears impossible. I mean, what man can understand a woman, right? Two guys were talking about their home life, and one guy says, he said, you know, that last fight I had with my wife, it was my fault. It was my fault. The guy says, well, what did you do? He said, well, my wife asked me what was on the TV, and I said, dust. <laughs> yeah, you can see where that went real quick. <laughs> So, so what does Peter mean in an understanding way? It's not understanding your wife because you know what? I, I had this conversation with a couple earlier this week that came in. I said, look, she said, well, he just doesn't get me. And I said, listen, he'll never get you. Guys won't get you. God didn't wire us to, be, to think like women. And I don't care how much you try to paint a picture for him, he does not get it because he's wired different. We got, listen, in our culture, we use we used, uh, uh, differences to be a divisive thing. God intends for it to be a complementary thing. The two shall be one. So here's what I found out in 35 years of marriage. My wife's weakness is my strength, and my weakness is her strength, and we come together broken and fractured, but we make one together, and we make a pretty good team. That's what a biblical family begins with. Listen, so it's not a matter of understanding your wife as much as it is understanding your role. What is your role as a husband? Again, God established the marriage covenant, and he assigned every person their role. And again, God created male and female, and so he's completely aware of how we need to function. Listen, when God looked, created all the world, and he put Adam in it, he noticed that Adam did not have an effect, a, a, a really a, an appropriate helpmate, if you will. And so what did he say? It is not good that man be alone. Husbands, when we understand our role given by God, we will know how to live and how to love as we're called to. And when we understand our role, we don't have to guess at what makes our woman happy. Like that old song, when a man loves a woman, you already know it. It just flows because you're in that relationship there. When you love as you're instructed, you, you, you find that groove. When a husband and wife stay in their lane, how about that one? 
when a husband and wife stay in their lane, their home will be blessed. I think Peter's saying, hey guys, learn your wife. Learn what motivates her. Learn what makes her happy. Learn what makes her tick. Find her likes and her dislikes. If your wife says, when you ask, where do you want to go to eat? (laughs) And she says, I don't care. Well, see, if you know your wife, you already know that she does care, so you better pick the right one. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You learn your wife. You learn that. It's like this lady, this wife approached her husband. She said, honey, how well do you know me? He said, well, I think pretty good. We've been married a long time. She said, well, then what's my favorite flower? Proudly, he says, Pillsbury (laughs) self-rising. She threw a book at him. (laughs) Husband, be, be there for your wife. Be understanding. Learn your role. Seek to know what your wife's desire. The second thing is this. Be courteous. Be courteous. Peter goes on, live with your wives in an understanding way. As with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor. Now, don't throw any books at me, okay? I didn't say that. He did. Peter's not suggesting that women are weaker in the sense of mentality, intellectually, morally, or spiritually. That's not what he's saying. He's speaking very pragmatically. And what he's saying is, for the most part, men are physically stronger than women. That's what he's picking up on right there. And since they are physically weaker, Peter says, grant to her honor. I was telling the early service, I have two kids, my my daughter and my son, who's in the camera room there. And and my daughter's older, and she's a daddy's girl. And growing up, my son, I love my son dearly. My son and I have had some incredible adventures together over the course of our lives. But he would always say things like, Dad, you just, she's your favorite. Any parent ever had your child say something like that? She's your favorite. And I would always say to him, son, she's not my favorite. I love her with the same love I love you. I said, but there's, it's different. I said, she's a woman. And I said, men are to treat women differently. And I said, what I'm trying to do to you and for you is to teach you how to treat women. That's, again, that's the way my, she's, so grant her honors what Peter said. This means put your lady in a special place. Do what you need to do to protect her. Put your wife in that prized position that she should occupy. Cherish her and protect her at all costs. Men, here's something else. Our wives aren't our slaves. You take your shoes off, put them up. Get your stinky, dirty socks out there. Don't throw them in the floor for her to pick up. Put them up. I was joking. When my wife and I got married in Louisiana... We, uh, the first time I ever went to the family lunch after church on Sunday, went to a place we called Little Granny's. Little Granny, I don't know how old she was, maybe 120 at that time. No, she, she, she was just, she, just a sweet lady. So, so Sheila and I would be at our church, and then they would be at their church, and after our churches were over, we'd all, we'd all just gather at Little Granny's, and we'd have lunch. And here's the way it would happen. We'd walk into this house, and the men would sit in the den area, and we would talk politics in church. We'd, we'd pick apart the, the preacher sermon. We'd talk about how long-winded he was or whatever, or somebody's dress or what. Anyway, you know how what guys do. So we're just there solving all the world's problems. The women are in the kitchen. And they're cooking, and they're getting things ready. And, and then the bell rings, and we all, the men get up, and they walk into the kitchen. They sit down at the table, 
and their wives bring their plates and set it down before them, go fix theirs, and they go out to another part of the house. And, and again, I'm not reading anything. Between, there's so, I, I'm, please don't read anything between the lines. This was just my experience. So Sheila, now we're just dating. So Sheila comes over to me and she says, hey, what would you like me to put on your plate? And I looked at her and I said, well, i got two hands and two legs. I can do it myself. And so I fixed my own plate, which I was the oddball. I still am the oddball of that family. But anyway, I was the oddball. Because I said, you're not my slave. And she said, but most of these ladies are doing it because they want to honor their husband. That's what they like doing. And that makes sense to me. So don't, I just want to say, don't read between the lines. If you do that, I'm not picking at you. I'm just saying, for me, it was an, I didn't, never experienced that before. I'm just saying, guys, watch out. Don't treat your wife like a slave. She's a treasure. She is a treasure, a prized treasure. Our wives are cherished treasures in the sight of God. They were made specifically to complete us and fulfill what's lacking in ourselves. You consider her needs, consider her personality, study your wife, figure out what enables her to grow, what brings her the best out in her. And, and when you get that all figured out, then do it. Then do it. Take this by faith. Your wife needs to know that you love her. She needs to know that. She needs to hear it from you. She needs to see it from you. She needs to feel it from you. And she needs to receive it from you. So do that. Listen to her dreams. Listen to her feelings. If you'll sit down and listen, listen to her, you'll do more for her in those few minutes of time than anything you can build her or fix for her. Now, here's the thing. If your wife sits down to talk to you, she's there to talk to you, not for you to fix something. See, guys, we're wired, we're wired to listen for a problem to be solved. Wives are wired to express what's going on inside with no intent of you fixing it. I think women are well enough capable of saying, hey, I need you to fix something for me. But if they're just sitting down expressing, they're not asking you to read between the lines to go fix something. They just want to share what's going on. Guys, so when you sit down and listen to your wife... Don't sit there listening, trying to solve what's going on. You sit there and show that you care. That's all she's after. If you walk in, she's had a bad day, just sit down and say, hey, honey, tell me about it. Uh-huh, uh-huh, I'm sorry. If I, you know, just something like that and saying, well, you know what, I'll go take care of him, you know, whatever. That's not what she's after. Guys, write this down. Come on back, I'm going to wrap this up. Men, if you, will, if you want to fill the tank tomorrow, her tank tomorrow, Pick up the phone, okay? Just randomly. Pick up the phone and say, I just called to say I love you. <laughs> and don't ask for anything else after that. Don't ask her to fix your favorite dessert, your favorite meal. Don't ask her to start your favorite clothes. Just call to say, honey, you was on my mind. Georgia. And you'll fill her tank up in a hurry. Christian homes, I'm closing. They should be a shining example of God's grace and love for everyone to see. Again, it's not often that we see that happen in today's culture. Today, our homes in the church mimic and model the homes of the world. Again, I'm not saying we're better than anybody. Please, again, don't read between those lines. We are saved by grace. We're called to be different. 
The expectation is for us to be different. Guys, what I'm saying is, man, it's time to, it's time to up the bar. We've got young men and women that are growing up in this church that need to see. And if you're a single mom here, listen to me. That is probably one of the most difficult assignments that you'll ever have to endure. But you're not in it by yourself. There are people here that will step up and that will serve and help you in a time. That's why the body of Christ is so important. We've always responded to single moms here. And, and I think it's important that we do that. Single parents, you have a very, very tough assignment. You don't have to do it by yourself. There are people here that will walk with you locked arms to make sure it works. I've seen, I've seen men in this church. I've gone, I've gone to Grandparents' Day for people that didn't have those, for kids that didn't have those. I've gone to Grandparents' Day. Back when I wasn't a grandparent. But it was something I could do. I've seen men in this church pick up young boys to go play ball, to do different things. I'm saying that building a, a, a biblical family doesn't have to be on your shoulders alone. There's a community of faith here that can come and help. Men, as the, as the head of the home, if we love as we've been called to love, and if we make our wives the priority that she's supposed to be, we will have the trophy wife that we say that we want. But it hinges upon us. Won't you stand with me this morning? I know these sermons, when you start talking about these things, sometimes it can be very, very painful to hear because, you know, the world, again, preaches one message. The world preaches a message that's contrary to the Word of God, and we get confused sometimes. Who do we believe? Listen, I'm just telling you this morning, you get a choice. I can either believe what the Word says, or I can believe what Hollywood pushes, or what Dr. Phil says, or Oprah, or something like that. But I want to say this this morning as your pastor, I love you, for, I have for almost 30 years. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you know what? I had somebody challenge me the other day, and I said, you know what? If, if I get to heaven, or, or when I die and I find out there was no God, and I've lived like there was one, what harm's it done to me? It's not harmed me one bit. I said, but if you live like there was no God, and you die, and there is... I said, then it cost you the rest of eternity. I said, that's not a gamble I'm willing to take. So I choose Jesus. I'm saying the same thing for our families. We can either build our family on pop culture that's always a moving target, or we can build it on the principles of God's Word that have been established forever. I want you to bow with me this morning. If you're online, I want you to comment. As always, as we close, two things I want to do. We always open the altars up because, you know what, if you need prayer today, we want you in the altars. Altars where you're altered. But a couple things this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe, maybe as a husband, again, this is not beating up husbands. Please don't take it that way. That's not my intent. Life's hard. Sometimes we pick up bad habits. It's nice to be called on the carpet sometimes to say, hey, I need to straighten up. My wife is a treasure. So maybe here today as a husband and say, you know what? I want to be that godly example. Maybe you're here this morning not married yet. And you have aspirations one day of maybe marrying. You say, you know what, Pastor? I want to be a godly man. 
I know the world's trying to pe- preach to us about the insignificance of a man, but I, I, I want to be a godly man. I want to be an example for other young men to follow. Maybe in the home, maybe as a dad. Say, so, you know what, I'm struggling with my children. I'm struggling with my, my, maybe my, my, my stepchildren, bonus children, however they're called these days. I'm struggling to be that model that they need. You know what, God can help you. God can help you. So as they sing this morning, if you need prayer for anything, maybe you're going through something now that has nothing to do with the sermon. Maybe you just need, some, maybe you got some medical things going on. You know what? Let us pray for you today. But if you're here this morning, you're struggling in your family, or you see some areas that you would like to improve, as they sing, would you come this morning? Would you come and stand? Say, Lord, I'm ready to be that godly man, that godly influence. It's time to draw the line in the sand. Go ahead and sing. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Hey man, if you need prayer, I want you to come. This is your day. We'll take a few moments this morning. every breath we could ever breathe. Live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. It's worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. your love. 
morning, if you put your trust in Him, you'll not be shaken. If you build on that firm foundation, when the wind blows and the storm comes, it'll stand. It'll stand. As we close out this morning, thank you for being with us online. I want to pray just one blessing over the family. Again, I'm going to ask you to bow with me just for a moment. I want this to be private. If you're here today, as we close, and I know sometimes these are very sensitive, but if, you, if you're here today and say, you know, Pastor, I need a miracle in my family. I need a miracle in my family. With nobody looking, I want you to slip your hand right, right back down. I'm going to pray and close. And if you're online, I'm going to pray with you as well. Again, that family could be your immediate family, could be extended family. But listen, I dare to believe that with God, all things are possible. I tried the world, and I tried Jesus. And there's none, I'll never go back. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I do put my trust in you. And Lord, I'll not be shaken. Though the earth be removed, Lord, is what the psalmist said. Lord, do all those things crumble beneath us. If we build on that solid foundation of you and your word, Lord, it is established, it is established forever. I pray, Father, for the family. I pray for the, those that have raised their hand this morning. Lord, that need an intervention in their family. Lord, no matter how far gone it may seem to us in the natural, Lord, you go to a tomb where a man's been dead for three days and you call him out. Lord, I pray that we would recognize that there's still resurrection power and you're still able to speak life into dead situations and dead relationships, Lord. I pray right now for every husband-wife relationship. I pray that that husband would be the best husband under you as he possibly can be, that he would live with his wife in an understanding way, that he would grant her honor, and that he would love her as Christ loved the church. I pray, Father, you'll turn the heart of the husband to the wife and the heart of the wife to the husband. I pray that she finds her greatest fulfillment and satisfaction in him as he leads. Father, I pray for those miracles in the family right now, to that one that's distraught, Lord, not knowing what's going to take place over the next day, week, month. Lord, I pray that you would uphold them and encourage them lord faith in you is not misplaced faith let that miracle happen and father we pray for revival in our families lord resurrect the biblical family lay that strong foundation may we tune out the competing voices of our world and may we listen to what thus saith the lord and build on a healthy strong foundation now father i pray you'll go with us today give us a wonderful day and put today let it be a turning point in our homes, in our marriages, in our relationships. Let today be the day that we can mark on a calendar that we've changed and everything begins to fall in place. 
Lord, I ask you to go with us now. Give us a wonderful day. Should you, Terry, bring us again at the next appointed time. I love and bless each one now in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Thanks for being with us online. I love you very much. I'll see you next time. Every breath we could ever